All right, good evening, everybody. Good to have you out with us. Uh, we're in 2 Corinthians 8, continuing our study verse by verse through through this portion of Scripture. So if you have your Bibles handy, please feel free to open them up. We'll um, get started here in verse number 8 is where we're going to pick up the uh, context. Let me just quickly remind you, uh, the chapter that we're dealing with is about giving, the grace of giving. And we said several things about that last time. Let me remind you about the uh, outline that I gave you. We already looked at numbers one, two, and three tonight. We're going to pick it up and cover number four, five, and six. And I've actually, rather than just use these uh, headings, uh, I have uh, given you a different outline I'm going to use tonight, but we're going to cover the same information about proving your love, the example of Christ, and no shame in past failures. So we're going to try to cover all all of that information. I'm just going to structure it a little bit differently. Now, even though this chapter is specifically talking about giving, um, I I think that we can learn an even more broad or broader lesson from this chapter, and that is just get involved. The specific way that Paul is urging the Corinthians to get involved in this chapter is financially. They have this opportunity. They have the means at the time that Paul is writing them. So get involved. Help out. Take advantage of this opportunity that you have. Get involved. And I think this is a really important lesson to learn because sometimes we're not able to help financially. Sometimes the help that a person needs is not a financial sort of help. But if we get our hearts and our minds wrapped around this concept of getting involved, being a part of God's work, being fellow laborers together with God, uh, then no matter what the occasion calls for, whether it's our money or some other resource, some other ability, gift that God has has given us, we are going to be in a proper place spiritually, mentally, uh, emotionally to get, to, to make a difference, to get involved in that person's life. So before we go any further, I'm going to stop just for a moment and ask God to help us. If you would, pray along with us. Ask God to prepare your heart for what you're going to receive. I'm also going to ask, and I'll pray about this just now, I have some doctor's appointments tomorrow and the next day in Johannesburg. I've been having some problems with my eyes. If you would, I really would appreciate your prayers um, about those doctor's visits. We've been waiting for several weeks to get some answers, hopefully tomorrow the next day we can do that. Father, thank you this evening. What a privilege it is to open up the Word. And, and Lord, we have a chance right now to be involved, to be engaged with the Word of God, to learn. And Father, we want to learn something tonight so that we can put it to use. We want to apply what we're learning. Father, thank you for your tremendous grace. Thank you, God, that you're interested in our lives. You, you're, you're concerned about what's going on. Lord, thank you for sending your Son that has given us this relationship with you. We can know you. And Lord, I believe the best way to know you is through your word. That's why we're studying it tonight. Please make your presence real. I I want to enjoy this time here with you. I pray that you speak to the hearts of those listening. Father, these doctors' visits, please, God, give give these doctors wisdom. Let's find some answers. Please help, God. Help us tonight as we cover these verses. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. All right. Getting involved. Get involved. That's what we want to talk about. In verse number eight, you can see on the screen next to me, uh, Paul says, I speak not by commandment. Now, you can see I've. I'm, that's where we're at in the text. I speak not by commandment. Let me, if I can, just... I, I purposely did this so that I wouldn't forget to mention a couple things. <laughs> I've put chapter 8, verse 5 at the top of the screen for a reason. This they did not as we hoped, but first gave their own selves to the Lord. So when it comes to the matter of giving, the grace of giving, you can see that the first thing they gave was themselves, right? So that they got involved. They got involved. It wasn't just, Paul, we want to give you our money, and this will soothe our conscience and make us think that we've done something, and then we can excuse ourselves from serving God in other ways, they wanted to get involved. So I think that's worth mentioning. Now, back to the context and and the verses that we're going to cover tonight. Verse number eight, Paul says, I speak not by commandment 
but by occasion of the forwardness of others. So the willingness of others, the desire that these Macedonian churches, that's what Paul's been in, in the first part of the chapter. He talked about how these churches in, in the Macedonian province, how they, out of deep poverty and joy, they gave liberally. So he says, guys, I'm using them to provoke you unto love and to good works. I'm using their excitement, their involvement to try to rub. I want this to rub off on you a little bit. I speak not by commandment, but by occasion of the forwardness of others and to prove the sincerity of your love. Now, what we are going to talk about in this verse is love's evidence. Love's evidence. And you can see that at the end of the verse, to prove the sincerity of your love. But before we get to the last part of the verse, I I. I don't want to miss what we can learn in the first part of it. I speak not by commandment. Why would Paul say that? Isn't there a command to give? Well, I'm going to say that there is. Let, let me show you. And please don't think that I'm trying to get uh, in an argument with Paul here. I'm not. Uh, I believe that what Paul said is, is 100% right. But let's, let's unpack that statement a little bit. I think we can learn from it. How about this command? Jesus said, Luke 6, verse 38, Give, and it shall be given unto you. Now, there's plenty more to that verse, but the first part of it gets the job done for what we're trying to learn. Give, and it shall be given unto you. There's a command in that. And you know, as well as I, there are plenty of other places in the Bible where it does command um, for, for us to use our resources and give. Give and it shall be given unto you. So that's not only a promise, but there's also a command built into that. So we know that we're supposed to do this. Why would Paul then say, I speak not by commandment? I believe what he's trying to get across in 2 Corinthians 8 and verse 8 is that, guys, I'm not going to force you. I'm, I'm not going to force you. Giving, that is a general command. Now, the spe specifics of how much when, where, that's not always spelled out for us in black and white. Various situations will require for us to get involved to various extents. So with this particular circumstance, with the poor saints suffering in Jerusalem from this famine that hit, there's no verse that says you have to give this much or that you have to even give to these people. Right? The Corinthians might have been able to look at what was going on elsewhere and said, well, rather than give towards this uh, cause, we'll, we'll use our resources to help someone else. So you can fulfill the general command of give, right? It, but you can do that in hundreds of different ways. And that's why I think Paul is saying here, I'm not commanding you in this circumstance that you have to give to the poor saints at Jerusalem. Right? You can fulfill your biblical obligation of giving in other ways. But guys, I think Paul is trying to say, guys, this is a great opportunity for you to get involved and for you to prove the sincerity of your love. So don't let this opportunity pass you by. You've been telling other people how much you love God, how much you love Paul, how much you love the church, how, how much you love the the gospel, here's your chance, as they say, to put your money where your mouth is and to really show, uh, Jesus said, where, where the heart is. Let me get the verse just right. Matthew 6. I always get these two things backwards. Is it treasure or? Yeah, verse 21, Matthew 6, 21. For where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. So you can show where your heart is at by how you allocate your treasures. So let me point something out about the Corinthians, and I think this is still true of us today as well. You know, when somebody talks about the obligations, and I, I use that word on purpose because that's the word that I hear people using in these situations. They, they say, I feel obligated to do this, that, or the other thing. So you, you know in the Bible that you're supposed to go to church, right? There's a biblical command for that. 
not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together, right? There is a biblical command about reading your Bible. There's a biblical command about uh, praying, praying privately and uh, as a group. You guys forgive me. You might hear a lot of dogs barking. I don't know what's going on at my gate, but our dogs are going crazy right now. Um, th- there's a biblical command to study, right? Study to show yourself approved unto God. Now, you see, there, those are very general commands that are given. But how do you go about fulfilling all these commands? Do you have to go to church Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday night, cell group meeting? Do you have to go to every single event in order to fulfill the verse, not forsaking the assembling of yourselves together? When it comes to Bible reading, do you have to read 20 pages a day in order to fulfill the command to read the Bible? Do you see that there are different ways you can go about fulfilling those commands? You don't have to necessarily come to the church, um, the church allotted prayer meeting, right? We we before lockdown we had a 6 p.m. Saturday night we had our prayer meeting. You don't have to come to that specific time in order to fulfill the biblical mandate of praying together. There are many ways that you can get that done, but sometimes people look at these commands that have been given. And they say, yeah, you know, I don't want to feel pressured into doing it. I don't want to feel obligated. I want to do it. And and I understand it's a noble thing that they're trying to express that I want to do it because I'm genuinely, uh, my heart's in it. I'm, I'm doing it for sincere reasons. I don't want to do it just because somebody commanded me. Well, what do we do with this? The Bible says, love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. That's a command. Love your neighbor as yourself. That's a command. Now, once the command is given, you you cannot look at that and say, ah, now that you've commanded me to do it, I feel obligated to do it. And now you're forcing me. I wish you'd just back off, leave me alone. Let me just do it uh, my way when I feel like it. The person who instructs you and puts forth these commands and says, hear ye the word of the Lord. This is what... God is commanding, this is how we are to serve and worship and, and, and bless him and others. They're, they're not the enemy when they do that. They're, they're trying to remind you of these duties that you have, and they're meant to help. They're opportunities, right? Especially, I, I, I can speak on personally in our church, right? We set up all these events it's not to make you feel obligated that you have to take part in every single thing that we set up. I don't want you to have this false sense of conviction that if you can't make it out to every single service and every event, somehow you've let God down. Understand that we're trying to give you as many opportunities as we can to get involved. And that's what Paul's doing for the Corinthians. 2 Corinthians 6 verse 12 He's been trying to get them throughout the chapter saying, guys, don't be a waste of grace. Don't receive the grace of God in vain. And then they weren't getting involved very much. So he says, ye are not straightened in us. Now, straightened is a bit of an old English word. We would say stressed out. Ye are not straightened in us, but ye are straightened in your own bowels. He says, guys, you might look at us and think we are the ones putting the pressure on you. That's not the case. The pressure that you feel might be conviction from the Lord. You might see the need and the opportunities all around you that you're not taking advantage of. And deep down, it doesn't sit well with you. And the Spirit of God is a bit grieved. He said, uh, your failure to get involved is exactly that. It's your failure. Don't blame us because you're not getting involved. You can see even in the verse before that, O ye Corinthians, our mouth is opened unto you. Our heart is enlarged. We love you guys. We're trying to help. So the failure for them getting involved, it wasn't Paul's fault. He did what he could. And you might want to ask yourself that as well. The involvement that you are currently, the, the level of your involvement where you're currently at, You say, I'd like to get more involved. There's going to be a bit of a sacrifice, right? You might have to shift things around in your schedule, in your life. But take advantage of the opportunities that come to you. 
In verse number 8, I speak not by commandment. I'm back in 2 Corinthians 8, verse 8. I speak not by commandment, but by occasion of the forwardness of others and to prove the sincerity of your love. He says, guys, we can see how much the Macedonians love God, love the, their, their Christian brethren. We can see it through what they're doing. So guys, take advantage of this opportunity. Follow their example in this. Um, I've already mentioned it, but let me just touch on it a little bit more before I leave this point. They have been talking about how much they love God and Paul and other Christians and so forth. It's one thing to talk about it. But now Paul says, let's see the proof, the sincerity of that love. You know, husbands, fathers, if I, if I can just address the men, and you know this is applicable to the wives as well to a certain extent, and to anybody for that matter, but it's one thing, men, for you to say, honey, I love you, or whatever trutal nom you like to use. My wife, I love you. It's one thing to do that, but you know that there are certain times when you can go out of your way to prove that, where you don't even have to say it. You don't have to use those words, but the action proves the sincerity of that statement. And, it, you, and I believe that you should make the statement, right? I mean, the father, he, he made the statement, this is my beloved son. So to say I love you to someone is very important, but also to take advantage of the opportunities to express that love, very important. Prove the sincerity of your love. Um, I would assume, and I obviously we're not... Uh, <laughs> we, we're not in a very interactive setting. We have the chat section going. I see quite a few people. Well, I see some people involved in that. Thank God for that. You can put, you, it, it can be interactive to that extent. We can say, I love this, I love that. But just ask yourself, if we were to not have a chat section, if we were not able to express ourselves verbally, what proof would there be in your life of what you love? I know couple years back when my voice issues really started to become a bigger and bigger problem, the thought hit me that I may not get to be a preacher anymore. And it really hit me. I thought, this is how I feel involved as I get to speak and preach and teach. What if that's taken away? And it really did cause me to search my heart. How can I still, that love is still down there now. In what way am I going to be able to express it? And I did. I started looking for opportunities, any other opportunity, where I didn't need to use my voice and could still somehow show somebody how much Christ loved them. I had to get quite creative, but it can be done. You have to take advantage of those opportunities. So love's evidence Love's evidence. How do you prove it? When the opportunity arises, you take advantage of it. You're looking for a chance to show someone how much you love them. Uh, the next verse, verse 9, we're going to move to, let's see if I can, there we go. The Lord's example, 2 Corinthians 8, verse 9. Jesus, or the, the Bible says here, Verse number nine, for ye know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sakes he became poor, that ye through his poverty might be rich. This is a, oh, this is a sermon in and of itself. And it's very tempting, and I did think about it actually, about just preaching from this verse. But uh, there's the, the temptation for me here is to stop and think for a while, talk for a while about how much Christ gave up just to save a poor sinner like me, right? I, I keep, I, my mind harkens back to the book of Psalms. I believe it was David that wrote, this poor man cried and the Lord heard him and saved him out of all his troubles, right? This poor man cried. To think that Jesus, when you consider for a moment how much he left behind, how much he gave up in order, in order to provide for us not just a comfortable physical life, right? That's not even 
actually promised in the deal. I mean, we do have God's promise that he knows about our natural needs and he does tend to those things. That he will, right? You seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things shall be added unto you. So God's aware of that. But Christ has provided so much more. When it says he makes us rich, that's not a promise for a physical, temporal prosperity. Oh, the riches, the riches that he provides. There's a bit of a trade here. Do you see the trade in the verse? He becomes poor. He takes on our poverty so that we can take on his riches. Now, But consider the poverty that we had before we got saved. And I understand plenty of people are afflicted with, with temporal poverty. They, they, they lack money and food and clothing. I get that. And that's not to be taken lightly. But, oh, poverty goes so much deeper than that. There are so many people that have several zeros hanging around in their bank account following you know, some other substantial number. <laughs> They're millionaires, billionaires, but spiritually poor. Poverty, right? Uh, Garrett quoted the verse this morning in his sermon, Revelation 3. The church of the Laodiceans, they said, we are rich and increased with goods and have need of nothing. He said, but you don't know that you're wretched, miserable, poor, blind, and naked. The, the spiritual poverty that we had without hope, without God. My goodness. To think that Christ, look at what he gave up. He was in the presence of the Father. And, and I, I'm, I'm nervous almost to begin to talk about it because I haven't been on that side yet. I cannot fully appreciate the sacrifice that Jesus made because I, I have not seen... I, I hath not seen, ear has not heard, neither has it entered into the heart of man. We cannot comprehend how much he gave up to save poor sinners like us. But he makes us rich. In what way? You remember that story of the prodigal son? Here he comes out of the filth of the, pit, of the pig pen. He comes home and the father runs down the path. And despite the filth all over that boy, that boy says, Father, I'm no longer worthy. I am not worthy. That boy had wasted all of his living. He had, he had wasted all of his goods that his father had given him. He wasted it. And he wasted it on rubbish. Yeah, The Bible says on riotous living, the party life. What did the father do? Because that, that boy came back, listen, with a repentant attitude. Very important you notice that. With a repentant attitude. The father says, kill the fatted calf. Put the shoes on his feet. Bring not, not just a robe. The Bible says bring the best robe. Put a ring on his finger. That boy gets adorned with the father's love, mercy, grace, and fellowship. At the end of that chapter, the father says to the older brother, it was meet that we should make merry. There's joy up in heaven. We find that same joy at the right hand of the father. The riches that we find in knowing God through Christ. Knowing, we know how he feels towards us. That love, that relationship has been explained to us. It has been expressed to us. Do you realize how incredibly how incredibly blessed that makes us do you can you put a price tag on that this is not something that will ever fade away it is incorruptible it cannot be defiled this love that god has towards us and he's told us how much he loves us now, Paul, the point he's making, the Lord's example, you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. You know how much he gave up, the sacrifice he made. You know he made an awesomely massive sacrifice when you were in dire straits, when you were suffering. Christ gave all that up to meet your need. Now, follow the Lord's example. Even if it means you're going to have to give sacrificially, even if it means it's going to hurt a little bit. When you give, just bear in mind that this, this sacrifice, this offering that you're 
giving. It's, it, can, it can make an eternal difference. Now, I believe with this crowd for the Corinthians, this would have really gotten their attention because, and, and I want to say a little more than others. Now, let me explain why it would touch them more than others. When you speak to a poor man about giving up everything, right? If he only has two mites, like the widow in Mark 12, he gives up those two mites. Well, he's, he's given it all. And that does mean something, the fact that he's willing to give it all. But, and I'm sure we can all appreciate this situation, even if we've never had to live it. When you have not two mites, but two million rands or dollars or whatever denomination of money you want to use, when God then taps you on the shoulder and says, that, that money, I want it used in this or that way, whew, that'll get your attention. That, the sacrifice feels much bigger. And it is, it is bigger as far as you know, the, the numbers on paper. It's a big sacrifice. And I think the Corinthians might have been looking at their resources, resources and thinking, wow, you know, there's a chance that maybe God wants us to part with all of this. And we know from the story and the rich young ruler when he comes to Jesus, what must I do to have eternal life? And we understand the context of that story. There's, we, we explain all that in discipleship, but you understand the heart of that story. Jesus said, you've kept all these commandments from your youth up, but there's one thing that's holding on to your heart and it's those possessions. Go sell that you have and give it to the poor and come follow me. You'll have treasure in heaven. And the Bible says that young man went away sorrowful. Right? That, I think the Corinthians might have felt that. 1 Corinthians 4 verse 8, Paul says to them, Now ye are full, now ye are rich. Ye have reigned as kings without us. And I would to God ye did reign that we also might reign with you. Now, Paul wants them to reign, not in the sense of, I hope you get uh, promotions at work and I hope you take over this secular world now. That's not Paul's desire. Being promoted at work isn't a bad thing, by the way, but Paul, what he wants to see is these people living a life that uh, is pleasing to God so that when the Lord comes back, they have a position in the millennial kingdom with Christ. But he acknowledges now you guys have everything you need. You're full. You're rich. So when you think, when you consider that in, in light of what we're studying over here in 2 Corinthians 8 and verse 9, it might paint the picture a little brighter for you. These other believers in the Macedonian churches, right, they had deep poverty, and yet they still gave. And Paul's tugging on the heartstrings of these Corinthians saying, guys, I know you have a lot. I know you have a lot. But don't think that, well, listen, Paul, I have a lot. I worked hard for all this money. These are my resources. This is my wealth. Life is not about the accumulation of wealth. It's about using the wealth, the resources that you have for God's glory according to his purpose. Christ was willing to give up everything he had in order to minister to others to enrich them eternally. And he's, Paul is urging these Corinthians to get involved in that same way. If you want to know if your giving is, can I say, if you're giving acceptably, if you're giving sacrificially, one good way to measure it, right? if, if it ever disturbs you, say, man, God's asking a lot of me. I think that's a better way to go about it. I think God's asking a lot of me, do I really have to give this much? Do I have to sacrifice this much? Just measure it next to the sacrifice that Christ made for you. Measure it next to that. And that always helps put into, into a better light uh, that he can never ask too much of us. Whatever, whatever it is, whatever we're called upon to do, however we're asked to get involved, God could never ask too much of us. Not after all he's done for us. Um, I don't have the voice for it tonight, unfortunately. I'd, I'd wanted to sing this for you, but I, I just can't. If you have a hymn book, you can look at it later if you want, or just listen to me read the words now. But page 495 in our, in our hymn book that we use, there's this great song. 
written by Fanny Crosby, The Unsearchable Riches. Unsearchable Riches. Oh, the unsearchable riches of Christ, wealth that can never be told, riches exhaustless of mercy and grace, precious, more precious than gold. Oh, the unsearchable riches of Christ, who shall their greatness declare? Jewels whose luster our lives may adorn, pearls that the poorest may wear. Oh, the unsearchable riches of Christ, freely, how freely they flow, making the souls of the faithful and true happy wherever they go. Oh, the unsearchable riches of Christ, who would not gladly endure trials, afflictions, and crosses on earth, riches like these to secure. And then the chorus to that song, Precious, more precious, wealth that can never be told. Oh, the unsearchable riches of Christ. Precious, more precious than gold. Fanny Crosby did a wonderful job of expressing it, but Paul said it in Romans 11. Oh, the depth of the riches of his mercy and of his wisdom. We'll never get to the bottom of that well. So to fully appreciate verse 9, I don't think we will be able to on this side of eternity. I think if you want to make a mark in your Bible, Philippians 2, verses 6, 7, 8, I think is a good verse, a good passage to go with this, right? Though he was in the form of God, he thought it not robbery to be equal with God, but he made himself of no reputation, took upon him the form of a servant, was made in the likeness of man. You see a bit there what he gave up all the way to the cross so that we might be made rich. Now, Let me offer some very practical advice about this as well. And I mentioned it earlier with the prodigal son illustration. Jesus, he gave himself. He Not only did he give himself as a sacrifice for sin and took our place as our sin bearer, but he also left behind a wealth of teaching, right? He taught us the proper way to follow God, to worship God, to relate to God. So he left all of this behind. He's he's made it available to us. But, but, Jesus is not going to, he doesn't automatically apply that sacrifice he made on every single human being. The teachings that he gave, they're available, but that person has to avail him or herself of those teachings and apply them. You understand, there needs to be some repentance. You have to climb out of the pig pen, go back to the Father and say, I've sinned, I'm not worthy. And then you get to experience the closeness, the intimacy, the fellowship, the love, the joy, the peace, the comfort, the understanding, the hope, the grace, the mercy. All of that gets poured on, but it is dependent, it is conditional on you availing yourself of it. Now, why is this important for us to recognize? Because sometimes it can be a little confusing for Christians. We get the idea that we're supposed to be generous and give sacrificially, but we're supposed to use discretion when we give. We're supposed to look at the cause at hand, the person, the the group, the cause that is asking for our resources, and then say, is this worth the sacrifice that they're asking me to make? This person's asking for help, fine, maybe they need help, but if I help them, am I simply going to be affirming their bad behavior, right? Because sometimes people, they've made a mess of their lives, and I'm not saying we shouldn't help, but they might need a different kind of help before we give our finances to them. So when it comes to this sacrificial giving, yes, Christ became poor that we might be rich, but... We understand in this process that the Lord uses discretion on how he distributes his wealth. The resources are available, but repentance is necessary. So the Bible says in Psalm 112 verse 5, A good man showeth favor and lendeth. He will guide his affairs with discretion. With discretion. So when you know that this sacrifice... uh, this sacrifice, this sacrificial giving I'm about to, to, do, uh, to do, it's going to 
potentially make a difference in this person's life, bringing them closer to God. If you look at the situation and think, if I give to this, they're just going to waste it on some sort of sinful behavior, you're probably better off not getting involved. So you want to use some discretion in that. All right, and the next thing we want to look at, verse number 10. Well, you guys forgive me. I've never had a night like this where the dogs are just going crazy. Maybe you don't hear it as much as me I, as a possibility of that. All right, um, verse number 10, the next part. So we've looked at love's evidence, right? Take advantage of the opportunities you have. You've been talking about how much you love it. Now do something about it. The Lord's example. Learn how to give like he did. Let him be your motivation and your template, your example for forgiving. And then verse 10 uh, and 11, I'm going to put both these together. Lose the excuses. Lose the excuses. The Corinthians, there, there might have been a temptation for them to start making excuses why they shouldn't get involved with this particular project, why they wouldn't want to give. So Paul says this in verse 10, And herein I give my advice, for this is expedient for you. Expedient, that is to say that this is helpful. This is immediately helpful in your situation. Can I pause just for a moment on this? Will you guys let me do this? Um, when, when, an, when an older man of God or older Christian, if I can just say it like that, doesn't have to be a preacher necessarily, but when when an older, more mature Christian that knows their Bible stops and says, hey, can I give you some advice? Please listen. Please listen. Now, I get it. People are human. You don't have to always take every piece of advice they give you. And it's not as if they're, they're speaking inspired scripture. You know, what they're saying is not on the same level as the Bible. I get that. But when you have an older Christian who's really genuinely cares about you and knows your situation says i want to give you some advice i think this will help you right now please perk the ears up open the heart and take in what they're saying this is a mistake i made when i was a younger man and god help me i'm, I'm sure that i still make the mistake from time to time but i actually i went out to lunch with a, a pastor once and we were just having a conversation and I, that's all I thought it was, is just a just a, a care, just a chat. And he was telling stories, and then I would tell stories, and back and forth it went. I didn't realize that he was trying to give me advice. And he was. I just didn't pick up on it. And finally, he looked across the table at me. He got quiet for a moment. He looked across the table, and he said, he said you know what's wrong with a lot of younger preachers? And I, I said, what's that? And he said, they don't know when to shut up. Whew. Uh, I mean, I, I got the message loud and clear. And for the rest of the lunch, I just, I sat there and just, I didn't even eat. I lost my appetite. I just played with my food and I let him do the talking. And he wasn't angry when he said it. He was just trying to get the point across that, man, I'm trying to give you some advice. Now you would do well to uh, work with the ratio. God gave you two ears, one mouth. Listen more than you speak. But like I said, that's a bit off the topic. I, while we're here, though, um, I think it's fitting with what we've just read. Paul says, And herein I give my advice, for this is expedient for you, who have begun before not only to do, but also to be forward a year ago. So let me help you with this, with how this verse breaks down. Uh, you see, it says, for this is expedient for you, right? For you. That's the noun, you. He's talking to the Corinthians. So Corinthians, that's the, the noun. And then the next half of the verse, it starts, who have begun before and then so forth. That is what we would call an adjectival phrase. That entire phrase describes the noun, you. So, how do we, in, in this context, how are we to understand the Corinthians? What do we need to know about them? Two things, that back before, about a year ago, according to this verse, they were ready and willing. They had evidently 
gotten to some resources together and they were ready to give it. They were willing to give it. See that, that where it says forward a year ago, that's again some old English that you will actually see it in the next couple of verses. In verse 11, it says readiness to will. In verse 12, if, you first, uh, if there be a willing mind. So when we, when we see that phrase to be forward, it means to be willing. They had a desire to do it. So they not only had collected the money, but they, were, they had done it willingly. They wanted to be involved. Now, we don't know what happened. We, I don't know. Did they get discouraged? Did they get distracted? Did they get distressed? You know, you can get stressed out and, and uh, feel too much pressure and say, you know what, forget it. I'm just, I had all these plans. I, I wanted to do something, but everything's just gone haywire. So I, I forget it. I'm just not going to get involved. I don't know what their thing was. What, what, their, what caused them to stumble? What caused them not to follow through with their plans? But what Paul is saying is, Guys, don't use your past failure as an excuse to not perform now. That's the lesson here. Lose the excuses. You were ready and willing a year ago. Verse 11, now therefore, perform the doing of it. All right, guys, you started off good. You fell over. Now pick yourself up off the ground, dust yourself off, get the job done. Yes, it was a mistake. Whatever, and, and who knows, this may not have even been a mistake. It may have been something outside of their control. But just because you couldn't do it then, don't look at that and say, yeah, we tried, we failed. So, so try again. Try again. Perform the doing of it. That as there was a readiness to will, so there may be a performance also out of that which ye have which ye have. So we're going to talk a little bit more about that in verse 12. They may have looked at what they had at that current time and said, you know what? We Last year, we had a much bigger offering ready, and now we don't have as much. So yeah, you know what? Let, let's, let's wait until we have that big offering again, you know, an impressive offering. Then we'll give it. Paul says, guys, don't Use what you got now. Lose the excuses. Get involved. The verse that comes to my mind is 2 Timothy 2 verse 4. Be not entangled with the affairs of this life, but please him who hath chosen you to be a soldier. Right? Whatever it is that's holding you back, entangling you, distracting you, the thorns choking the word, if you got to get out into your garden... What I mean by that is dig down into your heart and get those weeds out, get those thorns out so that you can accomplish something for God. Then stop making excuses. Stop holding on to past mistakes. Stop letting them hold on to you. Paul said it like this in Philippians 3, forgetting those things which are, which are behind. And reaching forth unto those things which are before, I press toward the mark for the prize of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. No excuses. No excuses. Uh, let me, I want to show you a biblical example, I think, of, of uh, what we're talking about here. In Acts chapter 13, uh, we have the story of Paul and Barnabas heading out on their first missionary journey. In Acts 13, 5, it says, And when they were at Salamis, they preached the word of God in the synagogues of the Jews, and they had also John to their minister. Now, this young man, is, his name properly is John, but he's also known as Mark in some other places. So you'll actually see it in, in another place where it's called John Mark. Both names are put together. Uh, the, the gospel writer of the, the gospel of Mark, that's this young man here. They had also John to their minister. So what was he doing? Carrying the bags, you know, that kind of stuff. He was just there to assist. He wasn't there to preach. He was ministering to the ministers. You might remember back in the Old Testament, we read that the prophet Elijah, while he was the, can I say the main guy, the spotlight was on him, God was using him uh, at, you know, as the primary preaching 
outlet in Israel, he had Elisha as his minister. And the Bible says in 2 Kings chapter 3 that Elisha's job was to pour water onto the hands of Elijah. That's all he did. So John's doing that kind of a thing. Uh, you can see a little farther down. It says, now when Paul, verse 13, when Paul and his company loosed from, from Paphos, they came to Perga in Pamphylia, and John, departing from them, returned to Jerusalem. Now, we don't know why John Mark went back. Nobody does. We do know a couple chapters later, Paul and Barnabas get into a heated argument over this young man. Barnabas was related to John Mark. I, th I think there was a, a nephew. I think it was his nephew, if, I'm, if memory serves. And Barnabas wanted to give John another chance, John Mark. Paul said, no, can't trust him. Whatever the case was, I I'm going to take Silas. And he, on, on the next missionary journey, went off with, with Silas as his fellow laborer. We don't know why John Mark went back. Just like we don't know why the Corinthians weren't able to perform what they were ready to do a year, a year back. I don't know why some of you, you started off when you had all the right intentions, you were fired up, oh God, I want to do so much, I want to get involved, and you were ready and you were willing, and then this happens, that happens, life happens, and it just didn't work out the way you wanted. And maybe it was outside of your control, or maybe, maybe, you just had a spiritual lapse, right? Maybe your love for God waxed cold. And if that's the case, own it, admit it. But don't let that past failure hold you back. Let me, let me show you how this pans out for for John Mark. In 2 Timothy chapter 4, this is arguably the last thing Paul wrote. Right? This is the last book that he wrote, arguably. But I think there's a very strong argument for that. In 2 Timothy 4 verse 11, only Luke is with me. And look what he tells Timothy. Take Mark. That's that John, John Mark. It's that guy. Take Mark and bring him with thee, watch this, for he is profitable to me for the ministry. John Mark start, starts off, man, I'm sure he was excited. Man, I get to go out with these men of God, these missionaries. First proper missionary journey, that the way we know missions now, off they go. And John's a part of it. And for whatever reason, he didn't stay the course. He failed. He, I'm going to say that he failed God. I can't. Maybe he didn't, but Paul was pretty upset about it. Kind of tells me that John didn't. There was something John did that wasn't right there. But John Mark, by the end of his life, he got things straightened out. And now Paul says, include this guy. Involve this guy in the ministry. He's profitable. So don't let your past mistakes, don't use them as excuses for not getting involved now. If anything, learn from those past mistakes. Help others avoid those same mistakes, but get involved. How about another example? I, I, just for the t sake of time, I won't show you the verses, but I think you know Moses, right? He tried, didn't he? He was ready and willing in Exodus chapter 2. He was ready to deliver the Israelites. He wanted to assist and help them out. So he goes in. You know how the story goes. He, he breaks up a fight. He kills the Egyptian, hides him in the sand. Right? An Egyptian and a Hebrew are fighting, and he, he helps. He's trying to use his position of authority in Egypt, and he's trying to make a difference. And then the next day, two of his Hebrew brethren, they're fighting, and steps in, and they say, man, what are you going to do? Kill us like you did that Egyptian? We know you hit him in the sand. And when Moses realizes that that thing is known, off he runs. And for 40 years, he's on the backside of the desert, backside of the wilderness. And I'm sure the thought went through his mind more than once, God will never use me. But then, 
after 40 years, he's walking the sheep, you know, leading the sheep down the, through that part of the desert, and he sees the burning bush. God calls out, says, I'm going to use you. I'm going to use you. Moses, he tried to make some excuses, but God, I can't speak. God, I don't know your name. God, Pharaoh's a big guy, and he's, you know, big shot, a lot of power. You know why? Moses was eventually used the way he was because he didn't let those excuses hold him back. Eventually, he got past the excuses and he performed. I'm using the biblical word here, chapter 8, verse 11. He performed the doing of it. He just got down to business. He got involved. And then we're going to finish up tonight in verse number 12. 2 Corinthians 8 and verse 12. Legitimate efforts legitimate effort. So love's evidence, the Lord's example, lose the excuses. And now we're going to talk about legitimate efforts. What constitutes a legitimate effort? Well, Paul says, if, for if there be first a willing mind, it is accepted according to that a man hath and not according to that he hath not. As I said, I think this flows from the point he was just making in verse 11. And it could very well have been that the Corinthians looked at what they were currently able to give, compared it to what they might have been able to give in the past, and say, sure, this offering now looks so puny. It looks so pathetic. We're almost embarrassed to give it. Let's just not give it. Paul says, guys, it's not the amount that's making the difference here. That the amount is not what makes it acceptable to God. It's the attitude of the heart. It's the willingness. God, I'm willing to do what I can with what I have. And when a person approaches whatever the situation is with that attitude, God accepts it. It doesn't have to be as polished or as big or as shiny as some other guy's offering. Paul, in a couple of chapters, let me, you know the verse, you know the verse, but I'm going to show you the verse anyway. For we dare not make, uh, I'm in 2 Corinthians 10 verse 12, for we dare not make ourselves of the number or compare ourselves with some that commend themselves, but they measuring themselves by themselves and comparing themselves among themselves are not wise. Paul, he's making it very clear. To, to say that your efforts are legitimate, you don't have to outdo the next guy. That's, it's not a contest. It's not a contest. We are running a race, but we're not running against each other. Now, that's, that's where it's a, a little bit, there's a little bit of irony in that, I think, because usually when we're running a race, we're trying to beat the people running alongside of us. In this particular race, we're running against the course. We're, we have runners next to us, yes, but they're on our team. I'm not trying to, if I, I don't get a crown because I outdo the guy or the girl next to me. I get a crown because I stay the course. I have finished my course. I have kept the faith. Isn't that what Paul said? You know, even Paul, they, the, God told Paul, in many different ways, don't go to Jerusalem, right? Acts chapter 21, don't go to Jerusalem. What did he do? Went to Jerusalem. He made a mistake. He ends up arrested sitting in a Roman prison cell. And he could have thought, well, Lord, what I'm able to do for you now is not going to be as great as what I could have done for you if I wouldn't have gone to Jerusalem, if I would have just taken the advice that all of your people were giving me. You know what? God still used Paul. God still saw Paul's efforts as legitimate so that Paul could say at the end of his life, I have finished my course. I've kept the faith. I fought a good fight. Henceforth, there's laid up for me a crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, shall give me at that day, and not to me only, but to all, unto all them that love is appearing. Can I say it like this? God finds it acceptable when your willingness outweighs your abilities. When your willingness outweighs your abilities. 
you know, people a lot of times these days, they, they talk about, I, I want to know which spiritual gifts I have. And, you know, how do I get, uh, um, how do I trigger this spiritual gift to happen in my life? And I, you know, a lot of the people that are pursuing that, I think that they really do have a willing heart, a willing mind. And that's what's so heartseer, that's what's so heartbreaking about the situation is that I, I think they get some bad information once they start down that path of inquiry. Can I just offer a piece of advice on that? Rather than looking at how big and shiny the particular gift is or the ability is or the amount of money you can give, rather just say, God, here I am. I want to be involved. When the opportunity comes along, then I won't even have to say I love you. You will see how much I love you and your people because I will use whatever resources I have at my disposal. You know, sometimes I, and, and I think this is important for every preacher, we need to listen to preaching as well. And I listen to a number of different preachers. And as time as, you know, as the years go by, obviously I get exposed to more and more preaching. And I, I hear some of these guys, they're so incredibly powerful with their use of words and their the way that they explain the scripture. It just sounds so clear and, and crisp and the way that they illustrate it and Oh, my heart gets stirred and I, you know, I, you've heard me say this before. There's two things that make me want to preach. Bad preaching and good preaching. <laughs> you hear somebody that cannot preach, man, get out of the way, let me do it. Or at least let me try. But then when you hear good preaching, man, I, I want to get up and get to preaching. It makes me want to preach. But then I hear these guys, man, they, they preach and then I look at my preaching and I, I have the unfortunate... Uh, responsibility of you know editing some of these online things that we do and i i get stuck listening to myself and oh oh if you ever want to crucify the flesh just listen to yourself preach for a while that oh my goodness if you ever struggle with pride that will fix it record yourself speaking and especially as i'm doing tonight with put it put it live where you can see yourself doing it as well Whew. You look at the effort and think, God, I don't know. How, how could you be using me? There, these other people, they know what they're doing. Let them do it. Imagine if everybody took that position. Imagine if everybody said, well, I don't think what I have to offer is really going to make that many ripples in the pond, so I'm not even going to cast my stone in. We would all just be sitting on our hands waiting for somebody to do something. Rather, look at what you do have available to you. You say, what spiritual gifts do I have? It doesn't matter. You'll find out when you get out, get out of your house, out of your chair, out of your comfort zone, and say, any way that I can help, I will help. I'll get involved as much as I can, as much as I know how to. And when I find the end of my ability, then if I have to ask for help and get assistance from someone else, they can take it from there. But I'll do as much as I can. You know what you'll find out? You will find out which gifts you have and how much of them you have. That will happen naturally. But what you have to have in order for that to happen is charity, love. That's why Paul said when he was talking about spiritual gifts, I show unto you a better way. And the next chapter, every verse is about love. 1 Corinthians 13. He says, guys, don't worry about counting your gifts. Just have this willing mind, right? If there, first, if there be first a willing mind, oh, the things God can do with somebody who is willing. You know, Moses... I, I used him as an example, so let me close by using him again as an example. You know what? He, he told the Lord, I'm not eloquent. God, I don't know how to speak. I'm not a good speaker. And, and Moses, he hung on to that excuse for a little while. God told him, I, you know what? I, I'm, I'm going to show it to you because it's just worth seeing. Make sure I get the whole thing. Yeah, verse 10, Exodus 4.10. And Moses said unto the Lord, O oh my Lord, I am not eloquent, neither heretofore, 
nor since thou hast spoken unto thy servant. So he said, God, growing up, I wasn't eloquent. Forty years in the desert wasn't eloquent. He said, I, God, that, I, I don't think you got the right guy here. I am slow of speech and of a slow tongue. Here you are wanting me to speak not just to a handful of people, but to an entire nation and speak against Pharaoh. God, I don't think you've got the right guy. And even now you've called me. It's not as if you've miraculously changed the way I can speak. I'm, I'm still tripping over my words. I, God, I don't think I can do this. Verse 11, And the Lord said unto him, Who hath made man's mouth? Or who maketh the dumb or deaf or the seen or the blind? Have not I the Lord? God says, I'm in charge of that. So, Moses, if I'm calling you to do it, I am aware. Now, you see what he says here. Who made man's mouth? Who maketh the dumb, the, or the deaf, the seen, the blind? God said, the guy who speaks well, I'm aware of it. I am the creator. I'm aware that a man knows how to use his tongue eloquently. And I am aware of the fact that other people, their eyes don't work, their ears don't work, their tongue doesn't work so well. I know that. I know that. Verse 12, now therefore go. Don't doubt that I've called you. Now therefore go, and I will be with thy mouth, and teach thee what thou shalt say. It, Moses wasn't miraculously, immediately, instantaneously, on the spot, boom, now I got the gift of gab. Now I can talk, uh, you know, eloquently. That didn't happen. He said, I'll teach you. It, it'll take some time, but I'll teach you. Look at the response. And he said, oh, my Lord, send, I pray thee, by the hand of him whom thou wilt send. You know what Moses' response was? God is saying, Moses, I want you to get involved. Here's your opportunity. Moses said, my speaking ability is just not that great. God, send someone else. I get it. This is a legitimate cause, but I'm not the guy. Send someone else. And that's why we get the result in verse 14. And the anger of the Lord was kindled against Moses. And he said, is not Aaron the Levite thy brother? And he was. Aaron was the older brother. I know that he can speak well. And also, behold, he cometh forth to meet thee. And when he seeth thee, he will be glad in his heart. Thou shalt speak unto him and put words in his mouth. And I will be with thy mouth and with his mouth. And will teach you what you shall do. He says, all right, we'll include Aaron in this. Aaron was more, if I can say, of a natural at this. A naturally gifted speaker. God said, uh, I know that he can speak well. God knew that Aaron was a better speaker. There was something about Moses that was more usable. You know how the story turns out. It was Aaron that put the gold in the fire and out comes the molten calf. It was Aaron that got, got the nation in trouble with that, with that idolatry in chapter 32. God wanted Moses. And maybe tonight God wants you. And maybe you say, yeah, but, you know, when I look at my resources, my abilities... I just don't think that my efforts are going to be that great. I don't think it's going to make much of a difference. I don't think it's going to be legitimate. Well, then, maybe you should have this willing mind to say, God, I don't think I'm very good at it, but I believe that you'll be with my mouth and you will teach me as I go. But I'm willing, God, I'm willing to try. I'm willing to try. And that willingness makes the effort legitimate. It makes it acceptable with God. All right, I think that's good enough for tonight. We're going to pull up right there. Uh, you folks have been putting some comments in. I appreciate that. It's, it's wonderful to have a little bit of feedback in there. If anybody does have a question about the lesson tonight, I'm going to pray and close this, this time. Uh, but before I exit out of the uh, program, I'll, I'll take a look one more time and just see if there is a question there. So let me go to the Lord in prayer. Father, thank you for this opportunity tonight to look at the scripture. And it's, it's been an encouragement to my heart, uh, Lord, just to be reminded the sacrifice that you made. You can never ask too much of us. Lord, how many things I could hold on to as excuses None of them would be good. <laughs> There's no good excuse 
for not getting involved. Lord, thank you. You haven't asked something impossible of us. You haven't asked the, 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 the man uh, with no ability to do more than he can. You've just asked him to get involved. Help us, God, to make a legitimate effort, to really try, to be willing, Lord. Thank you for the encouragement we find in the Scripture. I do appreciate it, Father. Thank you for being patient with us. We might have been ready a year ago, and tonight just now decided, let's get up and do it. Father, encourage those that maybe they've been putting it off, and tonight they decide, that's it, I'm just going to get it done. Please, Lord, let these words, what we've heard this morning and this evening, sink deep into our hearts and affect us throughout this entire week. Lord, might it stir in us and change us. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. All right. I don't see any uh, questions there. So guys, thank you so much for uh, tuning in, joining us tonight for the Bible study. And Lord willing, uh, we'll see you guys throughout the week. Take care.